0: Welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, a.k.a. Old Man Morin, and we are back. And when we are back, we are back big. Now, we have had a ton of fantastic, huge guests on this show. But if you guys uh, have listened to the prior shows, you know uh, that I'm a fan of uh, certain game systems that date back a long, long way. And uh, oh God, the guest our guest tonight is literally one of the biggest names in wargaming in the last... I can't even tell you how long. It's been in my lifetime. And it is a, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to introduce the one, the literally only, Rick Priestley to the Warlord cast. Welcome, Rick. How you doing?
1: Hi, Brad. Uh, uh, very well. I'm uh, feeling a little bit embarrassed after that um, uh, huge build-up. I um, uh, hope I don't let you down.
0: Oh, I, I, I mean, literally, I did some... You know, I started flipping through your accomplishments. I mean, just starting recently, of course, you know, uh, Gates of Antares, you've done so much there. You've done a lot with, um, you know, the creation of the original bolt action rule set. But even going back be, even further than that, I mean, you, the number of games... Just giant, prolific games. I mean, Rogue Trader 40K, the original. Your name is written all over that. It's, you've been part yeah. of some of the most uh, iconic and influential game systems, at least in, in my life, and I know for countless others. Uh, it is just a pleasure to have you on.
1: Yeah, well, um, yes, I I I was part of um, a lot of those things. It comes with being very old and being useless at everything else, of course. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know about that last part, uh, but uh, my moniker is <laughs> Old Man Moran, so I've been playing your games for a very <laughs> long time. Um, now, I I can't go any further without asking. I, I had a friend ask, and it 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 goes without saying that you okay. Uh, It shouldn't go without saying. I should explain. You live in Nottingham or around the area. And you uh, play with Mr. Stollard, the owner of Warlord Games, quite often. Um, And you're also, I I can see from social media, that you often play with the Perrys as well. Now, I mean, talk about wargaming pedigree getting together to push war dollies around the table. But the reputation is that your gaming setup is almost second to none. Now, that said, in that crowd of names that I just listed, Mr. Stallard, the, pa- the Perry Twins, and yourself, who do you think has the best gaming setup and why?
1: Uh, one of the Perry's. Uh, uh, Michael and Alan tend to share stuff. Ah. So um, they uh, they do have their own setups. Um, uh, Alan Alan's wargame setup's a little bit more, um, uh, it, it's older. Uh, Michael moved into a, a house a good few years ago now, and uh, he specifically converted um, an outbuilding into a, uh, a wargame setup. So his is a little bit more recent. Uh, but um, they're both it's pretty much exactly the same. They're, they're both um, six feet by 14 feet tables oh. and fully modded, model, uh, model terrain. Alan tends to have the Napoleonic collection from the Perry's
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Michael tends to have uh, to have um, the uh, uh, the rest of it and in particular the medieval collections so well, depending on what you're playing you'll be playing uh, uh, either around at Allen's or around at Michael's uh, if you're playing with Perry's uh, and yeah, uh, you know, the Napoleonic games are almost all fought at Allen's yeah. so mm-hmm. all those all those battles you see then uh, the Napoleonic ones on Facebook and same probably for the American Civil, uh, American War of Independence battles. Mm-hmm. They're all uh, Alan Perry's. That's his setup, which is I think well, I, you can't really put put much between Alan and Michael's setups. They're both beautiful, um, mm-hmm. but but Alan's is the one you probably see most. Uh, John's is a little bit Games Workshop. It's a little bit more um, uh, uh, the stuff's a bit bigger and not quite so. You know, he, he's he's got a slightly more um. Uh, what I call the game's workshop aesthetic, so the buildings are all a bit bigger and it's all a little mm-hmm. bit more. There's a building in the middle of something, whereas the Perrys tend to build proper scenes, and uh, like a model railway layout. Uh, and uh, I don't, there's not many other people do that. Um, Ali Morrison does, uh, and mm-hmm. Dave Andrews. A lot of the Perrys stuff is actually Dave Andrews, ex-Dave Andrews made. Um, And and Dave's probably one of the best scenic modelers, uh, war game scenic modelers uh, uh, I know. Um, And uh, my own setup is um, a lot more modest than that, actually. It's, uh, I mean, it's as big. My main setup's um, six feet by 14 feet. Yes, um,
0: okay. I I was going to say, oh God, have I been misled? Because I've been led to believe that your setup is just, it's, by war gaming. It's, it's not as
1: it's not as nicely modelled as the Perry. The Perry Whoa. stuff is just so beautifully modelled. Mine's a bit more utilitarian. It, it's um uh it's based on the games workshop um realm of battle boards.
0: Oh wow.
1: But I've actually built a lot of hand handmade pieces to mm-hmm. go with it, to match it. Um so uh, it's a mix of, of stuff I've made myself, but it has that slight formality to it, mm-hmm. you know, of, 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 uh, which the Peris doesn't. The Peris is rolling terrain, whereas mine tends intensity be flat, and then there's a rise. Right. So I've tried to make it look quite natural, but it's still uh, a more of a, a slightly more formal setup, and a little it, it doesn't really photograph quite as nicely as the Peris. That's just beautiful, and oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's okay. I mean, you, 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 I, I do occasionally put stuff up on Facebook if I've played a game. Yeah. In fact, if you look at my my Facebook um, mm-hmm. uh, homepage, the photograph of the Assyrian army coming out from the fortress, I mean, that's obviously on my table. Yes. Uh, yeah. So oh. so it's all right.
0: I love the, I, I love the, the, um, you you actually had me going with the oh no you have you have the same sort of setup I do but no I I just think perhaps you're being a tad humble. Um, <laughs>
1: I've, I've got another table upstairs which is a eight by four so that's quite a modest. Okay. There you go. Yep.
0: Well, I wish I had yep. that in my house. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Rick, you have of course written some of the big games over the years, um, and you've been part of just some truly amazing projects that have influenced the gaming industry. Um, in so many ways. And I've, I've read and heard a ton of interviews uh, recently about your work on various game systems, uh, including what we're going to be talking about today, Black Powder 2. Um, and uh, I, what, I mean, you have inspired a generation of game writers. Um, I guess what I would like to ask you is, what inspires you?
1: Uh, it can be um, anything. Um, you know, it's, there's no one thing. Um, some, sometimes it's an idea that, uh, you, you get from, um, uh, a, a, a historical, uh, perspective, you know, you're reading something or you see something on TV or, or whatever, you know, it, it can be about history or it can be a science fiction movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And other times it's a games mechanic, you know, you think, well, oh, it'd be interesting to try that as a mechanic. Oh, well, nobody's ever done that before. Um. I mean, one of the things I wanted, for example, when we um, created, and it was Alessio Cavatori really that created the core system for um, for Bolt Action. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Bolt Action, you draw um, dice out of a dice bag. Mm. They're effectively chits. You're effectively drawing yeah. chits. But it's one chip per unit. And one of the things I, I thought, even when we were developing is it, wouldn't it be cool if the number of chits was a, uh, not based on the number of units, but based on a kind of command factor. Mm. Um, and then you'd have to decide where to allocate your chits. And if you had more chits than one per model, then you could give units second, a second go. Oh, and this wow. frightened Alessio, frightened him to death indeed. <laughs> He's a timid beast. Actually, Alessio was much more concerned about game balance. Mm. And the minute you go into a system like that, you're slightly throwing game balance away and going, you yeah, know, no, we're going to play a game. And sometimes it'll swing one way and sometimes it'll swing another. And it will balance, uh, but it'll balance in a different way. It won't balance in an absolute fashion. Mm-hmm. So in each turn, you don't know exactly what you're going to be able to do. And that's one of the things some players don't like. Um, it's one of the things I don't like about Black Powder, actually. It's, it's just... Gamers, you know, some people like one thing, some people like another. Uh, Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. So I kind of saved that idea up and I've used it for a game I've just written for Lucid Eye uh, called uh, The Red Book of the Elf King. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that uses that concept, uh, that that game uses that concept of uh, multiple chits not connected to the number of units you've got it is actually slightly connected because as you as you lose units you have to lose chips mm-hmm. um but the number of chips you have in the draw bag is uh is ba- based on a dice roll at the start of every turn so you can have good turns and you can have poor turns into you know, in terms of your um a number of activations mm-hmm. yeah so that's how well, that's one way in which um Uh, So that idea sparked that concept, that game. But then Steve um, at Lucid Eye contributed all the background and the models, and I had to stitch the two together. So in many ways, that game's come from two different places.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, it's always interested me to see how these things came about. I mean, if you look into the back cover of the old Rogue Trader book, there are so many faces um, that were drawn in that wonderful... Um, uh, collage, not collage. Um, just
1: yeah, it's like a collage of, um, uh, of faces of that. That was just the people that were involved in the studio. I mean, some of okay. those guys are uh, uh, were management. Okay, um, so to be like Richard Ellard and uh, mm. Alan Merritt and other people are sculptors. So says okay. Perry's in there and Nick Bibby, of course, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, the Perry's said uh, the and uh, Ali Morrison and mm-hmm. Trish and so on and so forth, Jez. Um and uh, a few of them are uh, game designers, but not not all of them necessarily worked on the text. In fact, really the text for um the first 40k, Road Trader, was all me, plus um uh it the one one chap edited ed- edited it, but he did a very good edit on on the end of it. Um and um a few of us kind of talked through and came up with ideas for little bits of filler text. but essentially it was uh, it was mine, you know
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: so uh, and later they tended to be joint efforts. Mm.
0: Um,
1: but we wanted everyone who'd contributed to be. Um, uh, kind of, kind of in there. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's a nice piece, isn't it? It is it, actually. For years afterwards, we took a, we took a copy of that, and as people were, um, uh, uh, let's say, no longer working for us for some reason, mm-hmm. they were blanked out in the fashion of a, a Stalinist purge. <laughs> so, so they, so gradually, they, they it all these black areas mm-hmm. filled that space. And if you were to do it today, I think there would only be two people three if you include John Blanche mm. yeah three there'd only be three people still there
0: I yeah. would have said I would be surprised if there was one but then of course you mentioned John Blanche and of course he's sort of Ali Morrison
1: oh, of course uh, yes d- uh, Dave Andrews oh, uh, okay. other yep. one. and in fact Tr- Trish Morrison was the game's workshop until last week I think
0: oh wow okay <laughs>
1: so um, there was even yeah, more so, so yeah there were four but mm-hmm. um, I can't think that any others are still there no
0: nah. yeah well, as um, games' workshop loss has been everyone else 's gain because um, so many of those people, including yourself, have gone on to do amazing things in other places
1: um i guess so I hasn't done games workshop any harm though no, they're uh, after after i must admit they've had seven years after they got rid of me they got they had seven terrible terrible years yeah and now i thought well there you go <laughs> uh, and, a, a, and a lot of them were things that you know had i been because people think of me as a game designer yeah but i was part of the executive really mm. and um the reason why uh, uh, I, I left ultimately was because i think my view of what the get Business should be doing, and the business's view of what the business should be doing were quite different. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, after seven years of dearth, they've pretty much turned themselves around, and they're now, ironically, doing a lot of the things that I was try—I would have championed and would otherwise have supported. So, um, yep. you know, like, like uh, social media um, uh, uh, engagement, engagement with the community, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So, um, good luck to them, and um, uh, I, I, I quite like to see them uh, continue to issue dividends at the sort of rate they're issuing
0: yeah exactly hmm. i'm glad to see them uh back on the right path so to speak or at least um yeah yeah doing well i look at the
1: product uh, Do you... that doesn't interest me anymore yeah but, no, uh, I, I i look at the uh, i look at the turnover and uh, I, I know that they're providing um jobs and gainful employment for uh, some thousands of people which I, I remain quite proud of my role in creating so uh yeah good for them
0: Exactly, and uh, again, and uh, I was one of those people at one point. So I, again, thank yeah. you. So uh, a that...
1: lot of, uh, and most of us at Warlord were, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a lot of, as you've said, a lot of people through the, um, uh, in the gaming industry generally have passed through Games Workshop at one time or another. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, let's 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 um, pivot on that point and turn to Warlord. And Warlord, through Warlord, of course, I've mentioned you've written quite a few, or you've contributed towards, if not completely written, uh, quite a few rule sets. But um, the one we're going to talk about today is a very popular one with them, uh, and that would be Black Powder. Now, Black Powder's been around for quite a while. Um, For those who aren't aware, can you briefly tell us the details of Black Powder? Because unlike Bolt Action, which really just covers... I mean, if you want to include um, the the early Pacific, uh, 10, 15 years of combat, whereas black powder is a much more inclusive rule set.
1: Yeah, in many ways, uh, you could describe it as an old-fashioned generic horse and musket rule Mm. set. Um, The the easiest way to describe black powder is simply to say how it came about, which... um, was uh 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 whilst i was still working at Games workshop black powder was r- was created as a game mm-hmm. before warlord started it was originally going to be published by warhammer historical war games mm-hmm. um but warhammer historical war games kind of uh it it, it changed its nature and it, uh, it was it would have been difficult for them to do it mm. and um John Stallard left his Shop and asked if he could publish Black Powder because it was a game that he, he was uh, involved with some of the play, playing with.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, so um, a, a deal was struck. Um, so it is quite an old game. But um, it, it was just that we were playing these big games of Napoleonic's, mostly around at the Perry's, at Alan Perry's house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we'd turn up and there'd usually be two or three people aside. We never played with one person on the side. You could play with up to four, but, you know, it was games at the Perrys are always like that. They're like a club game. Mm. So you've got maybe, let's say, six people playing. Um, and the armies are enormous because the Perrys have put these huge collections together. So they're shoveling the toy soldiers on. You can imagine, Ooh. can't you? Amazing. The weight of lead is, is quite impressive. Um, and... Um, We'd start a game, and we'd be playing. Alan would be running the game, and he'd be using something like I think we used Shaco, I think, at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we'd start after work because uh, we'd all turn up about um, uh, six o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, by necessity, we'd have to eat a curry and uh, start drinking beer, mm-hmm. and we'd start playing the game. Well, in most conventional war games, you know, one unit gets one move per turn, six inches, six mm-hmm. inches, six inches. The table's six feet wide. Nine times out of ten, Alan would insist on playing along the length of the table. So you'd start off at one side of the 14-feet table, and somebody else would start oh. off on the other side. And there'd be a river in the middle. <laughs> and you'd... This is a typical Alan Perry setup, I, I, I hasten to add. <laughs> we love them, Alan. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the games would often get to a point whereby it was midnight, Uh, we were all getting a little bit, you know, sleepy. And the armies had only just moved to within range. (laughs) And we have to give up. Uh, And uh, it was a bit frustrating. So Alan uh, Alan put these games on, but um, it was Jervis Johnson, Jervis indeed, who suggested that why don't we use Warmaster, my Warmaster game, Mm. as the basis for playing this game. So he did a quick conversion off Warmaster to play napoleonics well mm-hmm. in warmaster units it warmaster was built as a 10 millimeter game i don't know if you've ever played it i have
0: like i had an undead army oh. i loved it it was a great game
1: well you'll know and uh, anyone who's played it will know that in warmaster the it, it's a 10 millimeter game and the units are uh, three blocks each block has, mm-hmm. has a 40 millimeter frontage so a unit has a frontage of 120 millimeters so not very big really mm-hmm. five no. inch very
0: small very small and it uh,
1: you play the game by giving orders to, to units, and a unit can have uh, sequential order. So you give a, a unit an order to move, it moves. You give it another order, and it can move again, and you can mm-hmm. give it another order, it can move again. And you can move up to three times, so long as you don't fail the order, um, which in Warmaster works fine because you've only got three blocks to move at a time. Well, with our Napoleonic games, we had units that were various various sizes, all healty pigglety Some Mm -hmm. of them were based on individual bases. Well, it would have taken forever to move them three times. So what Jervis said was, why don't we just go, say what you want to do. You know, I want to move to there. Then see how many moves you get, one, two, or three, using a roll-under mechanic. So if you've got a basic command value of eight, a roll-under of six is two, so Mm -hmm. you get two moves. Five would be three moves. Any less than five would always be three. We never let anything move more than three because that was just just too much. Right, um, and that's the basis of Black Powder. Um, so it's really a conversion of War Master, and that's why in Black Powder units have three basic hits. They can take three hits before they um, are. Uh, uh, we, we say we say they're uh, uh, shaken, mm-hmm. but effectively they they've been sort of taken down. And it's because the units in um, Warmaster have three pieces and they're That's removed as a
0: fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that mechanic well.
1: Yeah, yeah, but well, it's very good it was a very good mechanic actually. I was very pleased with Warmaster. is one of the few games I mean I really did that as a solo project at uh, Games Workshop. It was mm. something I did really because I was a little bit um I won't say bored, but I was um uh, a bit out of the loop with games design. Uh but I had time on my hands in terms of the um, the, the executive work I was doing, mm-hmm. so I, I did it as a as a, as a kind of a, a bit of a personal project, really. Um, and it was inspired by looking at the. You ever been to the Gettysburg um, uh, battlefield? I have. I have. Museum. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go in there and you, you there's a, a model of the of the battlefield, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There it's is. It's absolutely beautiful. And you sit and you it's watch gorgeous. it, and it takes you through the whole battle. Yeah, and as, as night falls, the do, it, they turn the lights out. Mm-hmm. You see the campfires, and they describe all the units moving as you know, little lights and things. And and watching that, I thought, you know, this would make a great game, <laughs> and and that's one of the things. One of the things that inspired a War Master.
0: Well, that's so funny. All so around. yeah, I was going to say it all comes around, doesn't it? Because it started yeah. with uh, it a started game. yeah, it started with black powder, <laughs> went fantasy, and then came back to black powder. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. So there you go. So, that, so that's that's the game, Black Powder. It was essentially written for big games and um, genuinely big games on large tables with multiple players, and that is its sweet spot. That's mm-hmm. where it plays best. Uh, it can be played one on one, and it can be played on relatively small tables if you uh, reduce the moves, because it was built for. Um, because the game game was constructed for uh, tables six feet wide, minimum, really. Mm-hmm. And a good width. I think John's table's um, 10 or 12 feet. Then and that's about the smallest game we'd, the table we'd play it on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, so the moves are quite big. So infantry move 12 inches at a time and can move three times in a turn. So oh, wow. a single turn, they can move 36 inches. Um, cavalry move 18 inches at a time. So it can move up to uh, 18 times 30, 30 you know, mm-hmm. 50 foot, six inches at a time. It's It's, it's a massive... It it is a uh, uh, you know you can make big moves, Mm -hmm. right sweeping moves right across from one side of the table to another, Um, and that way we managed to actually get a game finished by um, by midnight usually.
0: I like the usually (laughs) at the end there. (laughs)
1: Actually, we've been defeated a few times, uh, mostly. Yeah, and occasionally we've been defeated, and that's just because we've tried to play even bigger games. You know, uh, in one of our Napoleonic campaign games we fought recently, I think there were five or six players on one side. And just as one army advanced onto the table and got there halfway across, another one came in behind it. It was that sort of monster game. Yeah. Uh, But even that, actually, I think we got fought to a reasonable conclusion.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, okay. When I was introduced to Black Powder, I was introduced to Black Powder as a as it being the Napoleonic game. And it wasn't, uh, embarrassingly, until <clears throat> uh, later that I realized it isn't just that. Um, and it was th- yeah. with the release of the, the Revolution book about the American Revolution that I realized, oh, this is a much broader rule set. Um, and of course, it now has the American Civil War, amongst many other... Um, time periods um so there are books that allow you to play this game in other systems um i I guess my question is, given just the the span of conflicts that you can use this rule set, I guess what is your favorite
1: oh my favorite um well i, I guess napoleonic because um uh, mm. that is probably the core the core of the rule set is is based on napoleonic right. um it, it is a black powder rule. It, it, it's it's horse and musket in that very old-fashioned wargaming sense. Mm. So it's got a big sweep to it. And because it's got a big sweep, the rules are not hyper-detailed. You can add rules in that make it more detailed and which give specific um, uh, historical uh, credence to it, mm. of so, uh, tactical methods or organizations or, me- or weapons. But generally speaking, you know, anything that's got lin- a linear warfare, where an army marches onto a battlefield, divides into battalions, and then maneuvers around other guys, shooting each other uh, at um, you know, the range of a sort of a musket, mm. it works. And that's that actually, that's the characteristic of all the warfare from roughly 1700 to roughly, uh, I'd say 1900, but probably 1870s, mm-hmm. that sort of period maybe a little bit later and so broadly we went well that's the age of the black powder musket Mm -hmm. Um, black powder was phased out from the 1880s Um, I think the um, the last British black powder infantry arm was the um, early Metford Um, and that uh, was used during the probably used in the sedan yeah might have been that's mm-hmm. Might have been the last time it was used. But um, so we just drew it to 1900 to keep it neat. Right. Uh, uh, really, you have to be a little bit um, uh, more innovative if you're going to use it for those later colonial battles. But it, it kind of it, it works very well through the um, uh, War of the Spanish Succession mm-hmm. right up through to uh, I would say. Um, the uh uh colonial big, bigger colonial battles um uh it, it, say in in the Sudan mm-hmm. or in south africa it, it, it certainly were, we've certainly used it for um uh the uh franco-Prussian war mm-hmm. uh, in which it, it was just fine uh whoops, that's, that's the dog dog agrees
0: dog likes it yep
1: dog like dog approves franco prussian wolf <laughs> silence pooch there you are um yeah uh so with no um uh, you know i i i see it as a black powder period of, of rules, mm-hmm. but the Napoleonic sits right in the middle of that, and generally speaking, the core rule set copes with napoleonic exceptionally well yes. uh, uh it, 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 it 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 actually it copes with the uh, American war of independence quite well, but th- that yes. that particular conflict has so many um Uh, slightly looser battles or skirmishes or smaller scale battles in it that the character of the battles is sometimes a little different Um, but it does cope very well i mean people who are really into these particular uh phases or periods or or, or campaigns have written supplements for black powder and they take you through to some extent the historical background Mm -hmm. and then provide suggested rules which could be used to adapt black powder um I never use any of them. No. Uh, I, I have never played black powder with anything other than the core rule set. Sometimes we'd be playing a game uh, and we'd say at the start, oh, in this battle, this would happen, or in this particular mm-hmm. uh, uh, campaign, or there'd be this feature, a weapon or whatever, and we'd make up something before the game or agree something before the game. Uh, so essentially what those supplements are is that process <laughs> worked out yeah. for you. Um but I've never felt the need. And to be honest, some of the detailing I find uh, runs contrary to the to the to the speed and flow of the game. Mm. Yeah, it's a little; they're a bit complicated uh, for my taste. But my taste is based on being there with six or seven other people, quite a lot of beer, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's not uh, not necessarily uh, uh, the same for everyone. Uh, if you want, it, mm. uh, you know, it takes all sorts, doesn't it?
0: It does. It does, but. I mean, clearly, this is a game that's been around, as you said, for a really long time. Um, yeah. It, in a, In a, its original incarnation, and it's only now that we've get we're getting, uh, you know, black powder too. Um What um, I, I know, for example, that Warlord wanted to come out with a rule set, but they didn't want to invalidate all those books you were just talking about a minute ago. Um,
1: no, well, neither did I. Uh, I when When it suggested we do. Uh, second edition. I mean, my first response, as 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 I know, some people's response has been on the internet, <laughs> as being, uh, "Oh, why?" <laughs> the first one was perfectly good, mm. um, and the reason actually is it does make sense. It as it, it, so long as you don't do too much. It is it, that we keep reprinting it, and when you reprint a book, I mean, it costs as much to reprint a book as it does to do a new one right. in terms of the print. So uh, we we thought well. It has been 10 years. A lot of the um, photographs could be improved on now, although they're both taken. The photographs in the original book were largely taken by um, Alan Perry. And a lot of the new photographs in the second edition are also taken by Alan Perry. So, you know, it's not a criticism of the photographs that were in the original book. But in the meantime, we've done, we've made more models, and so has, so has Perry mm-hmm. miniatures. Uh, and um, there have been beautifully painted you know our mm-hmm. collections have grown and it, it's just so much so much nicer to include some more modern figures including some warlord figures because of course warlord didn't make any Napoleonic figures when we released black powder right uh, hard to imagine but they didn't um, so now they do uh, so we wanted to include some of our own uh, and um, do more uh, as I say more more in the way of um, uh, Uh, photos, and also more in the way of artwork, because we've also had a lot more paintings done for um, box art.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: So there's a lot more art, there's a lot more uh, of that. Uh, The um, original book had a number of uh, battle write-ups that were done in a certain style, you know, rather, rather intending to convey the concept of the rules, mm-hmm. that sort of gentlemanly spirit in which they should be played, and, and they should. Um, but at the time, that was quite a, an unusual thing in a rule set, to just go there in front and say, this is a rule set that's meant to be played by people who, who know each other and get on in a, I'd say, gentlemanly fashion, but I'm using that word in a slightly uh, shorthand fashion, mm-hmm. and we're not necessarily... The, implying there's a, a class or gender restriction on on the gaming in any sense, right. um, uh, But in a gentlemanly fashion, or in a, a, a humane and friendly fashion, exactly. Uh, is perhaps uh, is the idea of it. And um, uh, I wanted to get that across in the battle reports. Um, and I don't think we need to do that anymore. I think the idea is there. It's already been it's been made, and in fact, the last 10 years, it's been made not only in black powder, but in other rule sets and by all the people. So mm-hmm. I think the concept of playing in, a, in that fashion is, uh, is fairly well established now. So we thought rather than republish battle reports, what we'd do is have new scenarios. So mm-hmm. we've asked all those guys who have done those um, supplements for us who know their stuff to write a whole series of scenarios. And they're all playable scenarios. And some of them have special rules uh, to illustrate the idea that you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are just interesting tactical conundrums that use the rules straight. Um, so it's a variety of games, but they are all scenarios. Uh, so they're not, they're not written up. They might have, they might have a little bit of a you know when we played this this happened. Watch out for this. That's mm-hmm. uh, always useful in a, in a in a scenario. But um otherwise they are um uh, I can't remember exactly how many there are, but as I say there 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 are quite a number, more than the original battle reports. Um and they include things from the American Civil War, uh, to Napoleonic's obviously and um uh, uh and uh, right through to the Jacobi Rebellion and, and and so on. it's a it's a good breadth of of uh, of battles. Um yeah, and I think people will enjoy them. Even if you, even if actually a battle's been designed for a particular period, like there's there's a Napoleonic one that's based on um, the eve before Waterloo, when the uh, uh, the French army and the, uh, and the allies were uh, basically engaged in a running a running battle after Quatre Bras, it's a cavalry engagement, and uh, uh, that could be a cavalry engagement fought in any period, but it's been based on that particular uh, fight.
0: Nice, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. But allowing actually, they you, can all
0: be. Done. Yeah, allowing you to adapt it to other time periods and other, um, other forces. Yeah. So yeah, again, it adds that what if element, or maybe something that did happen that we maybe didn't record. If it's a smaller battle,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, there's all that. I mean, Black, Black Panther allows for any anything, either historical battles or made up battles. I mean, you, you don't have to use real forces if you like. I know some people enjoy playing um, mm. battles with completely made up. Uh, 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 seven Years War style armies, it's a sort of, uh, what do they really call it, it's imaginations, imaginations. and it's, it, it, it's something that goes back to the 1960s um, uh, with um, Brigadier Peter Young uh, and, and uh, uh, Charles Grant, I think. Uh, those, those, that group of gamers, that generation of gamers, uh, uh, they used to uh, sometimes just make up stuff
0: nice yeah. not
1: very popular these days i, I some people do it in a spirit of nostalgia yeah but it's not really you see it, it, most wargamers get get quite, uh, uh, quite quite affronted when they see a unit of um, french uh, french infantry painted in pink uniforms
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes they uh one i've seen one or two people get unpleasant about uh, bolt action armies that aren't Don't have the right number of buttons in the right places. But, uh, you know, I like I like I look, I'm a guy who likes to build forces around um, specific times and places historically. Um, I don't necessarily like to recreate battles, but I like to have relatively themed forces. So I I get the appeal, but I'm also not going to get my feathers in a bunch um, if, uh, you know, someone wants if somebody's hobby and somebody's good time is to, you know, paint some orange Germans. Well, you know.
1: That's up to them, isn't it? Good to um, them. Yeah. I mean, black powder is a historical rule set, isn't it? Exactly. And, and it and it ref, it reflects that. But yeah. um, uh, yes, we don't judge. <laughs>
0: no, exactly. And as you say, it represents that friendly, welcoming atmosphere of the game system um, that's been there since its original founding. That um, it isn't about, you know, necessarily having that that hard-nosed, cut-throat, must-be-this-way attitude. It's more of a welcoming, friendly, let's play a game and have a good time. um, Well, that's the ideal. Ultimately appealing, yeah, exactly.
1: I've I've known things get a little bit uh, competitive, overly competitive sometimes, but, uh, you know, no, no, calm down, calm down.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Depends on how many beers and if the curry was good. All right, Rick, well, let's let's take a step back here. If someone, for example, is a fan of Black Powder 1, and they've played, uh, they have an army, uh, possibly two, possibly three, possibly, like some of us, way than, <laughs> way more than our wives would probably like. Um, and they are really interested in the game, and they've really invested in this game. How is it, how, what can they expect from a second edition of this? I mean, first of all, we've said that the, the associated campaign books or the books to the side that sort of expand the game, those don't change. It's just the base game itself is updating. So, can you talk us through some of those changes?
1: Yeah, of course I can. Um, uh, I mean, I, really, it, I think it's f- important to say first up, the main change in the game is being been presented more, and, more professionally. Mm. Um, you know, when Warlord did bold, uh, Black Powder to start with, um, they were they were just starting out and they mm. didn't have an awful lot behind them. So, it, it, the second uh, edition is is a beautiful book in many ways. If you look at the cover, that's what we wanted to do with our first edition. Right. Um, but we just didn't have the art resources or the graphic resources to do it. So in many ways, it's it's the game it want, uh, as we wanted it to be. In terms of the rules, uh, I mean, when I was given the brief to do Black Powder Two, I mean, the first thing I, I said was, "I really, you know, the the game is as I, as I as I understand it, the game is pretty much bang on. I don't want to change the game in its broad terms, and I haven't." Right. Um, so, if you play Black Powder 1, that's Black Powder. Yeah, if you play Black Powder 1, you'll be perfectly at home with Black Powder 2. The changes I've made they are mostly changes that either people already play or which um, are included in some of the supplements and um, which have been generally adopted. So, for, to start with, let's say the role of generals. Mm-hmm. Now, if you play Black Powder, you'll know that it, it, the current in the current system a general operates as an extra command piece mm. so you can uh, take um, take a unit that's fallen out of a brigade command and give it an extra order uh, and i think that system works very well in certain sorts of games in particularly in colonial games where you want your general to be running around saving the situation right but in general generals that's sit nice. at the back <laughs> uh, and uh, give orders uh, and I-, I wanted to uh, Change the way that they worked in fact what i've done is i've given optional ways but the core way in which the general um, now works is if your general model is within 12 inches of a commander he entitles that commander to a re-roll now that is a system i've imported over from hail caesar Mm. and hail caesar is a development of black powder so in many ways when i did hail caesar i improved upon black powder you know the things that didn't quite work in black powder which were not Quite as op- optimised as I wanted, mm-hmm. um, and um, of course generals work differently in ancient warfare. So uh, I, uh, uh, you know, they usually fight for a start. So mm-hmm. I, um, it's expected. So I, um, uh, so I've incorporated that over, for example, um, and I, I think that actually plays very well. And we've been using that rule now in our own games for the last, probably about over the last year. And it, it just uh, works. There was a tendency before that people just forgot to use generals mm-hmm. or, just, or just left them at the back and, and when they needed them, thought, oh, they were too far away. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so this system actually, uh, I, I think it does work better. Um, I left the original version in as an option. In fact, what I've done is I've created a series of options for generals. So they now have sort of special rules options. And the original version is one of those options. Right. So if you want to continue playing as you were, you can.
0: Good. Oh, that's great.
1: Mm. One of the things I didn't think worked very well in the original Black Power was the rules for skirmishers. Um, now, they worked very well when I played it, but that's because we hardly used skirmishers in our games, um, and it was based on the Warmaster version, of course. Right. Um, it used to work that a unit would charge skirmishers halt in front of them, skirmishers would run away and the unit was stuck. So there was no way in which a unit could run down the unit of skirmishers, which is not all that realistic and in fact I changed that system when I did Hail Caesar. So the skirmishers can run but they might get caught Um, and basically what happens is as the unit makes the charge, as it starts its charge the skirmishers go, I'm going to make a run for it, I'm going to flee. And then you make a basic dice test, like an order, and they'll flee one, two, or three moves away. And then the charge is completed. So you never quite know whether you're going to get caught or not. And if you get caught, you get destroyed horribly. So um, uh, that's changed. And I think that's an improvement. And uh, we've been playing that rule again for quite a while now. And it's definitely a, uh, less frustrating, I think, for the player who's trying to get rid of skirmishes in front of him. Yeah. Um, so that's a change. Uh, The the other one which is equally addressing a frustration is if you've got a disordered unit now that's within 12 inches of the enemy, it can make an initiative move to uh, make a disorderly retreat Uh, and it retains its disorder. Uh, It doesn't remove it at the end of the turn, but it gets it out of that position. Um, You know, previously if you'd got a unit of cavalry that was stuck in front of a unit of infantry and was disordered, they were just stuck there and they got shot. Whereas in in reality and in common sense, you'd think they would at least <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. move away. <laughs> Not necessarily in good order. You know, it might be a bit of a mess. But they would be basically allow themselves to be uh, pushed back or, or retreat. So I've, I've now allowed that. It's called a disorderly retreat. Um, uh, another rule I thought didn't quite work as well as it uh, um, as it should was the rules for enfilades. And the reason for that is because in the original Black Powder, the Enfilades were a little bit too easy to game or set up. Mm. Now, of course, when we were playing, we never managed that. I don't think our um, attention to detail was sufficient. But um, some players... We're, we're, we're kind of exploiting that rule a little bit. And we mm-hmm. thought, well, it's not a set of rules that you're supposed to exploit or encourage to. Right. So the rules shouldn't encourage exploitation. So I changed the rule for inflates to make them far less uh, dangerous. Um, basically, rather than doubling uh, hits, I introduced rerolls. So if you miss, you get a reroll, um, which, of course, means they're powerful but less likely to be devastating on the end of the bell curve you know you can never get more than three hits rather than the original version where if you were lucky you could get six yeah um so i changed that um i think one of the biggest changes is actually um a big change for me but not a big change for other people and that's um in the original version you could fight two-on-one um hand-to-hand combats so mm-hmm. quite quite. I think easily, but it, the way you calculated them was based on how uh, unit frontages uh, cover each other, um, which meant there were a lot of complex rules to do with moving the units into combat. By necessity, there was a lot of geometry, mm. uh, and and I uh, I found that in practice, pe- people. On the whole preferred to fight the combats one on one regardless. And that is actually a rule that was introduced in one of the Napoleonic supplements. Um, so it's something people already play if they play with that supplement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the reason is because it was felt to be a balancing issue that if you go two on one or maneuver a two on one, it's too it's too powerful. Um, so I've now rewritten the rules for the charge into contact and subsequent engagements to make it a tool a, 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 to make it a one-on-one game yeah. as i say that was probably a bigger deal for me because if you're just saying, you just say yeah you just play them one-on-one people get it the problem is that all the rules mechanics are designed not to do that yeah. um, so i to get quite deep into the rules mechanics and rewrite so as i say it's a big deal for me probably irrelevant to most people <laughs> uh, but there you go um uh I've, tied, I've tidied up the rules for victory and defeat. It, in the original book, the rules for winning were basically stuck at the back as a bit of an appendix because we didn't really play with a, um, a, a set objective in mind. What we always did was we, at the start of the game, would say, oh, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. You've got to reach that forward or you've got to get half your army off the table mm-hmm. or whatever. We'd agree on what the game was about before the game. And we had a general kind of rule, whereby if half your army was defeated, you were you were gone. And I, when I wrote the original Black Powder, I actually asked all the guys who'd been playing what they, they thought the literary conditions were. And they all gave me different answers. <laughs> so I wrote up a kind of amalgam of that. Um, but it's not really incorporated into the rules. It's a little bit more as, as an appendix. Mm. And if you if you look at Black Powder 1, you'll see that the section on victory is tucked away at the back. It's not incorporated into the main body of the rules at all. So what I've done is I've written it up as part of the main body of the rules. Uh, I formalized it. Mm. But at the same time, I've said that uh, people who want to do things differently can do things differently. So it's a formal way of doing it. Here's the way you do it. But then there's the... But if you want to do it differently, you can. And here's a few ideas. So I've left it as it is, if you wish to play as it is. Um, But the main change is really that a lot of people found that where you've got small brigades, say a brigade of two, Mm -hmm. uh, it was too... um, it was a little bit too easy to get rid of it just by taking out one of the units by either shaking it or um, uh, destroying it. So we've got brigades of two or three models. You have to take two out to destroy the brigade, uh, to break the brigade. Um, And and that seems to work better. Um, And uh, I've exempted... Uh, cavalry units with Marauder special rule from that system to some extent. So imagine you've got two Hussar units, but they're part of the same brigade, but they're playing at opposite ends of the battlefield, as mm-hmm. often happens. Well, the fact that one's destroyed shouldn't really upset the other one too much because it can't see or tell. So things like that. So I've slightly reworked the victory and defeat rules um, to, to make it better. Um, on the exciting front, I've rewritten the rules for rockets because John Stallard and his mates thought they were boring. <laughs> <you can> imagine. <laughs>
0: I am not so surprised by that at all. I imagine John yeah, yeah, being well, like, I want more exciting rocket rules.
1: Yes, well, it just shows you. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have I've rewritten them to be uh, more um, uh, more spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were a little bit – what what it was is we didn't really play with them very often. So the rules that were originally used for rockets were a little bit of um, uh, a kind of on-the-hoof set of rules that was just, oh, let's give them two attacks, I think, and, and work them through like that. They they weren't particularly uh, worked through because we didn't actually use them very often. I think we used them in a few Indi- – um, we used them in um, – oh, it was an Afghan war game because cause, cause they, they were used in India before they were used in the Polonic times. Oh, so we used yeah. them in a uh, – yeah, yeah we used them in an Afghan war game, I think. We used them in a Chinese game. We used them in a um, Korean war yeah. Uh, mm. Japanese versus Koreans uh, uh, game, I think, if mm-hmm. I recall, uh, and they obviously appear in Napoleonic games, but not all that much. I don't think the Perries have actually got any, so um, so they didn't perhaps get much of a work through, and um, they they now uh, they now have some uh, entertaining rules
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the tradition of Roll the war No, no, something's gone horribly wrong, uh, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, those are my favorite uh, kinds of rules, so that's why I love yeah, that John well, asked for them. Like yes, yeah, something goes bit, horribly uh, but, wrong. Know.
1: Yeah. it's not it's not historically inaccurate they really were terribly um, uh, terribly uh, <laughs> terribly inaccurate and terribly uh, exciting on occasions and yes. did really yes. go off at all angles so so it's based on that, mm-hmm. that fact but it, it's been designed to as a fun element in the game as yeah. much as anything else um i've then rewritten the rules for special commanders mm-hmm. so In the original rules, I did a sort of random generation system, which we used a little bit, but to be honest, most people don't like. Um, And instead what I've done is I've I've created a series of special rules for commanders that people can use in the same ways they can use special rules for units. So you can choose them. Mm. They're entirely optional. You can choose them. Um, And uh, they are based on the ones that are in the original book, but they're just written up in that different format. Mm -hmm. And where I've changed them I've kept the names. So where they're referred to in supplements, they the supplements still refer to a rule, even if the rule is slightly different in execution.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Making everything backward compatible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, it, there aren't very many, but I think in some of the Napoleonic supplements they're mentioned, and mm. I think in the American Civil War supplement they might be mentioned. Glory, hallelujah. Uh, so I wanted to keep the names and essentially what they do would be similar or comparable so it shouldn't change the detail of what's going on Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. and otherwise I've reordered a lot of the text I've made things easier to understand I've made them clearer and sometimes um, uh, I've dealt with things in a slightly different way so the size of rather than saying from the beginning hey units can be any size you like just agree which tended to frighten newcomers a little bit Mm I've said Units can be any size you like, and here's the standard size units that we use. Right. Uh, and so I, I've, I've done it the other way around. Rather than saying, hey, it's anything, I've gone, it's this, but it can be anything. Right. Uh, uh, just, just by way of example, and that um, uh, I, I think that's a slightly more friendly way of doing it. Of course, when we did the original black powder, all the things we photographed weren't based for black powder. <laughs> Uh, oh, they course. were based for whatever games we were playing. Mm-hmm. So the 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 actual um, the actual units had all sorts of things different. A lot of the units were based on single figures, which are a nightmare to move. Yes. Well, I, I think most people these days base on a forty by forty mm-hmm. base for black powder, uh, and usually four figures on a base. The pair is still based to a six a forty five mil frontage with three figures. They base tighter. And they make their figures to base that by as well. And they look uh, uh, they look more uh, realistic, actually. You know, they have that close formation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but very few figures made by any other companies actually base that closely. Uh, so, you know, most people base on a 20 mm frontage. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. which is actually also a, a, a historically viable formation. I mean, they, you know, the, in the 18th century, as units uh, went into combat, there were a variety of frontages depending on. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they were fighting, uh, including one that was up to 18 inches, 18 inches,
0: wow.
1: which, you know, uh, yeah. And you're basically sideways shooting the other guy with someone almost resting a musket over your ear. <laughs> so it, it, you can imagine it must've been quite a, quite a loud affair.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine anyone hearing anything in that <laughs> endeavor.
1: Well, yeah, it must be quite scary, but um you know, it's the idea is to get as much firepower over a shorter mm. distance as you can. Um, yeah. So, uh, and that's about it. You know, that's, that's roughly where I got to with it. Uh, so, the rules are the same rules. The stats are the same stats. There's a few, as I say... Updates and modifications—they're not particularly. They don't particularly aim to change the game. What they do mm. is they change some of the aspects of the game, which I felt were either fiddly or a little bit clunky or didn't really quite mesh properly, um, and which I think most people would agree. I and mean, in in most cases, people have already accommodated changes without necessarily thinking they've changed the game.
0: Mm. Well, it's. I mean, it sounds like a lot of these changes are simple, simply aimed, as you say, to clean things up, um, but also to mm-hmm. sort of el- help eliminate um, situations that might be frustrating and might lead to um, people experiencing what we sometimes call in the wargaming world the feel badsies um you know <laughs>
1: they, may, they may call them that in your wargaming world yeah,
0: well, you know um you know like sometimes in bolt action in bolt action version one where you had recce vehicles yeah. running away and you just couldn't do anything with them um uh, of course i got cleaned up in version two um you've done the same thing um yeah. with units that you know that get in the way and then you can actually catch them now and they don't just forever. If you have that one player in your group who loves those units and you know, you dread playing because every time there's 16 things that you can't actually do anything against. Um,
1: Yeah. That's actually comparable to the skirmish rules in um, black powder. It's (laughs) exactly the same problem. You could always get away uh, with them and uh, never catch them. So, uh, you know, it's it's probably a similar frustration. Mm. Uh, yeah, there are some other things in in uh, bolt Action One that I, uh, you know, the World War Two game Bolt Action, that I, uh, I, I felt were uh, an imp- uh, were better than than two, and even in the original version, I always liked the fact that you could pin a tank with um, uh, light arms fire, mm. and people raved about it, like, oh, that'd be ridiculous, that'll never happen, and I'd go, well, it happened in the Battle of France. Yep. you know, you had uh, it, you, you had. Mm-hmm. um you had tanks on both sides advancing uh and they were brought under small arms fire and the crews just abandoned the tanks that's it because not because the small arms could hurt the tanks some of them they might well have been able to yeah be, exactly some small, of those tanks <laughs> yes but because actually being shot at whilst yeah. you're in a tank is a bit unnerving
0: yeah it absolutely is
1: <laughs> you don't you don't know what else is going to shoot at you Yeah, and it's also, you're
0: sitting in a giant metal bell, essentially, and people are pinging off the side of it the entire
1: time. Yeah, Uh, apparently, uh, I've heard um, guys who are tankers explain how... uh, Sometimes when they've been doing exercises, somebody's come up behind the tank and basically hit it with a sledgehammer, or the effect thereof, and how scary that was. Uh, That's a sc- sledgehammer attack, pin.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, I can't imagine. Because was you, it a sledgehammer? You were talking yeah. about the 18-inch formation a second ago, and I couldn't help but think of uh, all those uh, German... MG42 uh, bolt action models I have in my collection where the guy is yeah. holding it over his shoulder and the man behind him is firing it and you're just going yeah. I do not want to be that man in his hearing no. oh my god it's bad it, enough to fire there, those there, there
1: is video of that yeah it did happen but I don't think it was uh, terribly encouraged
0: no <laughs> I can't imagine.
1: But the other thing you see sometimes, is bolt action figures tend to be rather dramatic in this respect. Yeah. Is you see guys in charging poses with something like a Bren gun. Mm-hmm. Have you ever carried a brain gun? Have you ever tried to charge with one? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure dude. if you want, if you had a, yeah, if you want a brain gun, you want to move quickly. You keep it vertical
0: yeah. against
1: your shoulder, like you would a ladder or something. Like, exactly. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, same thing with a bar. Uh, some of those things are just heavy and unwieldy. Yeah, well, the, but, the,
1: yeah, the bar was designed to be fired on the move. It, you know, was. it was a World War One weapon. It was designed to be used that way. Um, uh, but uh, uh, and it's a, it's a lighter weapon. It's a slightly it lighter weapon. It is. Uh, yeah, funny thing, balls
0: Yeah, exactly. I
1: think they used them right up until the um, Vietnamese War. So they, did. they obviously found a use for them. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. they kept using them in Korea. So yeah, speaking of which, there is a bolt action Korea book coming for those.
1: Uh, yes, there listening.
0: Is. Yeah, so it'd be very interesting to see. Um, having played so much bolt action in uh, World War II, it'd be interesting Ooh. to try it in other things.
1: In but, and who, Who's writing that uh, that book then, bro?
0: Oh, that would be John Russell, uh, our yeah. fine U.S. correspondent. So, so uh, yeah, I've heard him on a number of CAS. He's not been on this one yet. We may have to get
1: him on one of these days. Uh, well, he's very entertaining. Uh, I've his heard. Job. Yes. <laughs> mm. Yes, you have to. You, 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 yes, be prepared to turn your um your your, your volume levels up to eleven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I believe he is what my uncles and father would call a hot ticket. Um, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to the uh the the chat. Uh, John, if you're listening, uh, hi. Looking forward to it. Anyway. <laughs>
1: Hello, Joel. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, well, anyway, Rick, it, it has been truly amazing talking with you today. Um, I don't want to cut you off, but our time is sadly running out. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as black powder goes? Because, I mean, clearly you've had a long history with this game system and the mechanics that that helped create it even before that. Um and it, I mean, you clearly have put a lot of thought into how to make it better with this edition. Um, and it sounded like it was fine to start with, and you just cleaned it up, as you said. Um, well, with the help
1: of quite a lot of the people. I mean, uh, what I did is originally I went I went around a lot of different black pla- uh, powder players and I asked them for suggestions. So a lot of what I've done actually is not I have to confess is not necessarily all been uh, initiated by me. <laughs> Some of these things have been uh, were suggestions put uh, uh, put back by other people. Uh, to, and I would like to thank them all for that you know that's uh, that's great and um, uh uh it just shows you really black powder is a uh, very solid system
0: nice and uh, again you're it's that it's wonderful that you're taking on that the, the contribution of community, people who've been playing the game, who are passionate about the game for so long that you're listening to those people and you're saying, yep, okay, these are the things that need to be done. Um, because yeah. as you say, when you play it, you play it with your friends a particular way. And there are people who are playing it other ways. And it's just, it's great to get, all of that information and all that feedback yeah, together. You,
1: you need to cover that, uh, but not mm. lose sight of what the game is. You have to, As a game right. designer, you have to take possession of it as a game designer. You have to say, no, it's my game, therefore it's going to work this way. Mm. Um, but you listen to all the people. What you don't do is you don't necessarily do exactly what they say. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes what they say is not necessarily based on, a comp- on the same understanding of the rules. You have to sometimes go, I see what you want to do, but what you want to do could be achieved very much. More easily by X, Y, or Z, you know, mm-hmm. and of course they don't want to. They don't want to start messing around with the core rule mechanics because they feel that that's probably not their territory. Right. But sometimes a change can be better better implemented at a core a core a level, mm. um, like that uh, fighting one-on-one unit. I mean, mm. That's that was a hellish piece of technical work, but you know, as I say, not, to a to a player, probably nothing at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you said, hard for you and not for others. So,
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. All
1: right, Brad. Well, excellent talking to you. Um, I'd let you go to bed. It must be sleepy time. Sleepy time over in Australia.
0: Oh, Rick, it is definitely getting to be about uh, bedtime. So, uh, but before we go, it is important to say, um, if you've been listening tonight, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, As always, we at the Warlord Cast know that podcasts, they don't cost money, but... uh, time is so precious these days we do really appreciate you taking the time to uh to come in and listen and join into the uh the war the greater warlord community and hear about the great games that warlord makes um if you have feedback for for me or for paul um you can find us um now you can't message the warlord page directly um as i am not a full employee of Warlord Games. I help them do their podcast. You can find me on my podcast page, which if you go onto Facebook is Cast Dice, C A S T D I C E. Um, you can find me there. My name is Brad, as I said before. Uh, and uh, if you message there, I have to thank all of the wonderful people that have given us great feedback about what you would like to hear. Um, I know quite a few people asked um, if we would be covering Black Powder 2. So, Here you are. Um, And, of course, we got the big man on himself to talk about it, which has just been amazing. So, Rick, thank you so much again for coming on.
1: Uh, Um, You're you're very welcome.
0: And, uh, yeah, I I know a lot of people, a lot of people have been asking about Cruel Seas and uh, lots of other goodies. Uh, The the next Bolt Action book, for example. Ooh, France. Uh, But... Stay tuned, dear listeners. You will hear more of those in coming episodes. So again, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Official Warlord Games Podcast, wishing you a very good night. Good night.